0: We do need him. I appreciate Cindy and the WM doing the work for the father-son time to get together for that banquet next Saturday. You know, I often thought with these name changes, we've got women on mission, which is WOM. So is the ministry Roy leads, men on missions, mom? (laughs) Anyway, just a thought, Uh, we're going to start a new series this morning from the book of Job. I want to look at his life um, as we seek to gain encouragement from God's Word. Uh, turn with me to the book of Job. We're going to look this morning at the first 12 verses. And when you find that text, I'm going to ask that you stand in God's honor as I read from the scriptures. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have allowed us to gather this morning. Father, we need you. And as we look at Job, Lord, we're reminded how life can be chaotic. How we never know what's around the corner. And how we need you, Lord. Father as I was praying preparing this moment I thought to myself Lord what I say no one will remember what you say we can't forget and and so father I pray that that you might speak Lord you don't need me to speak but I thank you that you have in your um, father mercy given me a chance as your servant to speak and so we just plead for the holy spirit to touch our hearts, and Father, that we might leave here closer to you. And and so may you just work, Lord, in your power, because we need you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. I remember when I was in college, there was a, a popular author, I, I was a psychology major, and there was this guy named Scott Peck, maybe some of you have heard of him. And one of my closest friends, he read every book I think he could find on Scott Peck, but one of his books that was more well known, called *The Road Less Tra- Traveled*, uh, opens with these three words: "Life is difficult." As we've marched along the road of life, I think everyone here could say life is difficult. As we look at the book of Job, it could open up with these three words: "Life is unfair." Things happen in life that we don't have answers. Things happen in life that, that break us, that take the wind out of our sails, that take our energy away. Uh, years ago, I, I read across this story, a true story that happened to this guy. This was in, uh, actually in the Encyclopedia Britannica 1982 yearbook uh, under uh, Unusual Events. It says, Brian Heiss had more than his share of luck in July that year, most of it bad. When his apartment in Pravo, Utah, became flooded from a broken pipe in the upstairs apartment, the manager told him to go out and rent a water vacuum. That's when he discovered his car had a flat tire. He changed it that went inside again to phone a friend for help. The electric shock he got from the phone so startled him, he inadvertently ripped, ripped the instrument off the wall. Before he could leave the apartment a second time, a neighbor had to kick down the apartment door because water damage had jammed it tight. While all of this was going on, someone stole his car, but it was almost out of gas. He found it a few blocks away, but had to push it to the gas station where he filled up the tank. That evening, he attended a military ceremony at Brigham Young University. He injured himself severely when he somehow sat on his bayonet, which had been tossed onto the front seat of his car. Doctors were able to stitch up the wound, but no one was able to resuscitate four of his canaries that were crushed to death by falling plaster. After High slipped on the wet carpet and badly injured his tailbone, he said he began to wonder if God wanted me dead but kept missing. You know, you look at that, it's easy to, to bring a smile up. But the truth of the matter is, there's often not laughter or smiles when difficult times come. For example, think about a single mom desperately looking for a job, finds a job that's a thousand miles away from her family and her support system, so she takes off with three kids under 12. Great job, falls into work there, loves the company, but then a year later, the company goes out of business. While she gets in the shower, uh, she notices a lump. She goes to the doctor, and it's an aggressive cancer. She ends up moving in with her aged parents, who also have health problems in a three-bedroom house. (laughs) And while all this is going on, she hears about her husband who had run off with a girl who had just barely gotten out of high school, and... Now they're together, and they both have new cars and a new house. And She wonders, why? How, how could this happen? And yet, as I, as I look at those words of, of someone I don't know, guys, I think about people I do know. Just this week, I have talked to people who have told me of three others who are battling with cancer. Uh, this uh, play that Daniel and I are in, uh, there's a girl in that play, and, and her dad had had a stroke, and they run the UPS store, and they had to sell the UPS store. They don't know what they're going to do. As he's trying to come out of the stroke, and she's trying to take care of him, and and you know how they're going to survive, and and what's around the corner, and and you know what is next. And then I had a friend call, and who had a heart attack. Uh, Several months ago, now has found out that kidney function is down to thirty percent, and you know why, Todd? Why? Why is this happening? Cindy and I came in at eleven thirty the other night uh, after being out. We came into our uh, neighborhood, and there's this moving truck headed out, and another truck, and then we found out this family had just gone through a divorce, and and. This lady and her daughter left because it was her husband's house. And, and you know, you look at that and you, you look at all the pain that's around you and it, it's not just a story, it's not just a case study. And, and then the guy who does the pest control that comes by the church, a buddy of mine, will talk for a little bit as he gets ready. And, you know, his wife got cancer, then his wife got major back surgery, then he got cancer, then their daughter uh, was wayward, got into drugs, uh um, you know, ended up with a grandchild that they, you know, that they love, but just chaos all around him. And he said, you know, through the whole thing, Todd, he said, I really didn't struggle with feeling sorry for myself until I got the medical bills. <laughs> he said, then it kind of hit me how much I owed, how much the money was. As we look at this, this is not just something that's, you know, out there. The Bible's not just something that's outdated and outmoded and antiquated. This is life. The, the book of Job, it hits hard because it hits where we are. Listen to these words from Eugene Peterson. As you come into the wisdom books, uh, there's this prologue. He, he writes... It's not only that Job suffered that's important, it's that he suffered as we suffer. It's not suffering that troubles us, it is undeserved suffering. When we do wrong, we get punished. One of the surprises as we get older is that there's often no correlation between the amount of wrong we commit and the amount of pain we experience. And even larger surprise is that often we do right and get knocked down. We do the best we're capable of doing, and just as we are reaching out to receive our reward, we are hit from the blind side and sent reeling. Now, with that said, let's get into the text and let's look at Job. We start out and and we meet this man, and it says in verse 1, He was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now... He's blameless. He's not sinless. He's a man that cared about his walk with God. He's a man who was a man of, of prayer. He's a man who was a man who walked his talk, who was the real deal, who had a genuine, authentic faith in the living God. That's what it is to be blameless. He, he cares about what he does, he, he, he cares about his walk with the living God. Not that he's sinless but that there's a desire to, to walk with him, to walk with the Lord. And, and it, then we read on, it it tells us about his family. He had seven sons, three daughters. Now notice, he's also obviously a very gifted businessman. He owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. It's been suggested uh, that he probably had some kind of transportation system going, made money through those camels as a people traveled and then it uh, spoke of 500 yoke of oxen and used I'm sure to plow the fields and have w- uh, crops and wonderful farm and and then 500 donkeys you know looks look at what do you need 500 donkeys for and then you discover that in that day one of the delicacies was donkey milk well I might have had to stay away from that delicacy but uh, it goes on and it says he had a large number of servants. There were many people that he was connected to, this man Job. And listen, listen as he goes on, as he talks about he was a family guy. He was close to his family. Look, look at verse 4. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. They'd invite their three sisters to each and, and drink with them. It, it, you know interesting picture there, you know, they, they took turns going from house to house, and everyone would gather, and they had this big meal, and, and man, it was, just, it was just a great time, and, and you, you know, I believe Job and his wife, you know, one of the great things about grandparents is, you know, you can grandparent and then just turn them back over. Not have to be responsible for that discipline, those tough decisions. That you know, I had a friend of mine, I remember, he, he was excited about being a grandparent. He said, I can hardly wait, Todd, until that little one gets old enough where I can take him to the bakery and buy him everything he wants and then take him home. I'm the good guy. This is Job. He, you know, the kids here, they're grown. These children are grown. They're, they're not small children. And there's grandchildren. And so he's, he's a father. He's a, he's a grandfather. He, he's a guy that loves his family. And he's on top of the world. Everything is, is a blessing. It's easy to see that God has blessed this man deeply and, and richly. Notice also it says in verse 5, when the feasting had run its course, Job would sin and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. In other words, he really cared about their walk with God. This was a guy, he loved his children so deeply, and he prayed for them every day. And his custom was to offer these sacrifices... Not only on his behalf, but behalf of his children. I, I can hear him just, you know, in deep prayers. Of, God, make my sons godly men. Men in their homes that love their wives and love their children and love you and have a passion for eternity and what matters. And, and each day he would offer these sacrifices. God, I just want to know without a shadow of a doubt that they walk with you. then that my daughters are godly women and godly moms and... God, that's my heart. And day after day, how can you not help but just have a deep admiration for Job? He, he, was, the, he was the kind of guy that, man, I'd, I'd love to know and, and to be a friend with. And, and, and Just a guy that loved the Lord. And so what comes next is such a shock. When disaster strikes the godly, why? Why does this happen? Well, you know, as you draw to the end of Verse 5, if it was a novel, it would be the end of a chapter. If it was a movie, it would fade out. And if it was a play, the curtain would close, you know, for intermission to come into the next scene. You move from the man to a day. And you know, we never know day to day what's around the corner, do we? While Job was sleeping, how could he know what possibly was about to happen? So we come to verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. What a picture here is. The angels, you know... the. We read about the angels, how they surrounded the throne of God and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You know, we read about these angels. It was all about worshiping God. But among them there was an intruder. There was one whose desire was not to worship God. He's described here as the Satan. In these early chapters of Job. He's not just Satan he's the Satan the word means adversary the word means accuser he is the adversary he is the accuser and he has come to accuse Job before God and notice there's this dialogue that follows between the Satan and God it begins he says the Lord said to Satan where have you come from now or going any further. I, I don't think God asked this because he didn't know where he had been. He didn't know his activities. God's all-knowing. That's not the point. It, rather, another question that would probably be clearer is to ask, why are you where you are? Why are you where you are? And, and notice the response here. From roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it, he is not able to be everywhere at the same time, but He is able to be everywhere. He can zip from continent to continent, and, and, and He has a whole army under His control that is sent to torture and, and, and to draw us away from God. And, and his, what brings Him joy is to hurt us because God loves us. What brings Him joy is to see God's will not followed by people. Because that hurts God. That, that, that's the way he works. And you notice here as, as he goes on. Um, God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. What a picture here. As the Lord says to this accuser. Have you thought about Job, and he describes him as my servant. Now what a thought. How would God introduce you? Would would he say, My servant? What would he say? But anyway, as he goes on here, um, what a frightening word from God as as he shares this. And and then Satan goes on and he says, um, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied hey, You've put a hedge around have you not put a hedge around him and his household, everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. In other words, he doesn't worship the creation, he worships what you have given him. He worships the blessings, not the one who blesses. And, and that, that is the accusation that he was making against Job. You've blessed him so, you've you put this hedge around him, you've protected him, but I guarantee you, you take all that away from him, it won't be the same. He's not going to follow you, and he's not going to love you. And then as we read on, look what God says. What. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You know, as we go on and look at this in more detail, the tragedy that happens, he goes, How could he know? He's used to going from house to house to house of his children and his grandchildren, and then suddenly his whole life is turned upside down. Suddenly he becomes penniless. He becomes homeless. He becomes childless. In in a, in a stroke of pain that brings him to his knees, and I can just envision him at a graveside, all this death, all this suffering, and he, he's humbled. He's broken. And he says to God, look at verse 21 of chapter 1. He he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And as we see about his wife later on, I could also imagine her under her breath simply saying, Just curse God and die. The pain is just too intense. Now, as I close out this, this first introductory Message on Job. Just a couple of lessons to look at here. First, the enemy that we encounter, we cannot see. Get past this idea of if I don't understand it, it must not be true. The Bible clearly says that we have an adversary who is brilliant, who is beautiful, and who is insidious, he's sneaky. You know, think about this. He's not confined by time. He can spend hours and hours and hours watching you, watching where you're weak. He can take notes and say, Oh, yeah, I see that temptation is one that'll trip him up. And not only does he watch, hey, what's the deal? He can wait. He's not like me. I'm so impatient, I can hardly wait in line at a grocery store. He's not like that. He can wait. He can watch. He can wait. <laughs> And then he strikes. At a moment where you're not expecting, at a moment you don't see, he can strike. This is the enemy that we face. We don't see him, but hey, he's there. The devil is real and he's alive and he's at work. He wants to draw us away from God and he wants to break us. And he wants to turn us from God. He he, he wants us to forget God. He, He wants us not to worship and praise Him with our lives. All right, second lesson here. These, there are trials we endure, we do not deserve, but they're permitted. Why is this happening? God, this doesn't make any sense, and yet He permits it to happen. It goes through our lives, and we don't have answers for it, but we're facing it. Uh, Daniel and I are in this play, Anna Green Gables, and uh, it's been a blessing. I'm, you know, learning how the. I'm not saying I'm much of an actor, but I'm watching everybody and learning the culture, you know. And uh, the guy that's directing it, he wasn't there last weekend. He was in the hospital. He was sick. So I talked to him the other day before practice started. And um, he just was honest with me. He said, Todd, they don't really know what's wrong with me. He said, i got to go into the doctor at 10 o'clock, and a day or two. And, he said, just pray for me. He said, because they said it could be anything from scar tissue to cancer. And he said, I'm afraid. And so we we went into this conversation. Of, you know, we, we talk about disease and, and, and we talk about losing your job. But it's just different when it's you. <laughs> it's it home. And so we got in this conversation. He said, but i got to tell you this. That there. And I'll get the words wrong, but, but there's this line in the play that's sung by one of the characters. And basically he sings, God is still on his throne in his highest heaven and all is well. That's not exactly right, but that's the idea. He said, anyway, I woke up this morning and those words went through my mind. And I was swept with a calm. I said, sounds like God's stuff to me. Sounds like God was speaking to you. Hey, sometimes things happen, and, and, and we say, God, what is your plan? And and we don't get it, but God's at it. He's working. Which it brings to the, the third one here. Uh, there's a plan we explore we do not understand, yet it's best. <laughs> you know, we all quote that. Right, Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. He's bigger than we are and He's got a plan and He's working regardless of how much we understand and how the pieces seem not to be fitting together. They do. God can be trusted. He is still on His throne and all is well. And then one last point here. Fourth, there are consequences we experience we could not anticipate, but they are necessary. It just boom, it just hits you. Now, I like to describe it as we walk, all walk around a great big bubble and we never know when the bubble might pop. We get up each day and say, Man, this is what I'm going to do today. This, you know, this is what I have today. And it can all change. It can all change. You know, don't kid yourself. I can talk about these people I talk to that have cancer, but I don't know what might happen to me tomorrow. All right, as, as I come to the end of this, you know, this is Job's world. But my guess is that there is someone here, and maybe more than one, who are really going through something difficult. And you have this pain, and... Guys, God loves you. And I have a... We call it an invitation, a time to respond. I, I just want you to know that God, He wants to... He wants to be there for you he wants to sh- he wants to walk with you. he has a plan i I don't I'm not even pretending to say I understand all of it. I, matter of fact the older I get the more I think I don't understand but I can say this: you can trust God. I have seen him through the years be so kind to me. so as we have time we have an altar that's open maybe God's just calling you and he said, just come to the altar and pray." Hey, just come, get on your knees and come before me. I don't know what your problem or your difficulty may be, but the altar's always open. And I'll be here if you want someone to pray with or maybe something you want to share with God's people. Maybe there's a decision you need to make right where you are. Maybe it's to really place your confidence in God and say, Okay, God, I've known you from a distance, but it's time to come close. <laughs> it's time to come before you and say, God, I am a sinner, enter my life, forgive me, and then I want to walk with you. Maybe it's time for that. Maybe it's time to join this particular church. Maybe God's calling you and says, hey, this is a place to be to follow me, to to walk with me, and to walk with His people. Wednesday night, I keep saying over and over, David Platt, as we listen to the study, he had a message on why, basically why church membership is important. And I appreciated it so much. Basically said, we don't do this thing alone. When we become connected to God, we become connected to His people. And... That's not just worldwide. That's in a specific place. When He calls us to Him, He calls us to Him. So if He's called you to this place, let's do it together. Come and with that decision, if He's called you to follow, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth as we look at Job, Father. We see that although it's one of the oldest books in the Bible, Father, it doesn't matter how old it is, we're still a people that we struggle with suffering. And Father, I pray as we've looked at these opening verses of Job that you will guide us in these weeks as we look at this issue, Father. And uh, may we just look to you. And I pray now in this time of response, Lord, what do you want? That's what we want, Lord. Simply, God, may we say yes to your call, whatever that specifically is this morning. As we come, Father, may we come to you. In your name we pray, amen.